So I have to start by saying I'm not sure that I can add anything at all to that. Um, such a powerful reading of Lamentations 3. So if that's all that you take away with you this morning, then that is enough. And huge thanks to Karina for filming that at Bushfield Camp. That's the disused army base in South Winchester. Karina's from Ukraine, born in Crimea. But when Russia invaded, she moved to the capital, Kiev, and then after the next invasion, moved to the UK. That was an abridged version of chapter three. If you want to uh, pull up the whole of the chapter three in your Bibles, that may be helpful. Um, Lamentations comes after Jeremiah. And the reason that was abridged, I'll explain uh, in a moment. So what I'm gonna do this morning is I'm gonna recap the story so far. Um, If you're new this morning, then welcome (laughs) to the middle of a series on Lamentations. We are lamenting through Lent as a church. So we're going to recap, then I'm going to delve into chapter 3, and we're going to look at what's going on in chapter 3. And there is a spoiler alert, because there is a fragment of hope. Um, And I mean fragment. And I liken this to a shard of glass. If you imagine a pint glass smashed on the ground, and you pick up one tiny shard, that is the amount of hope that we are allowed this morning. Um, And there is a moment in Lamentations 3, we are the winners this morning because this is the moment that God speaks. So he doesn't speak at all through the whole of the book, and he does say something this morning. Then finally, we're going to look together at how the fallout from a Babylonian siege can help us today with pain, with suffering, and with unanswered grief, because we are besieged still in our worlds and our communities. We're under attack from all sides and our landscape is often bleak. So we're going to recap, we're going to look at chapter three and we're going to look at why we're looking at lamentations and what we can take away today. So let's go. The story so far, the year is 587 BC. Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people, has been under siege for two years. The Babylonians have the city surrounded and they are starving the inhabitants out. Well, the attackers finally break through and the buildings, and especially the holy temple, are desecrated. The people are brutally mistreated by the invading army. Some try to flee, Others are too weak, and the damage and the desecration is absolutely horrific. Lamentations is written by and for those who are left behind. Most of those who are left behind were actually taken into exile, and this is their story of lament. There is no sign whatsoever of a rescue act from God. There is just this deep sigh of sorrow from the heart about shattered hopes and dreams. This is a tragedy of immense proportions. There's no happy ending on the horizon. So what about the book of Lamentations? It's a book of poetry, possibly written by the prophet Jeremiah. He was there and he lived through it all. It makes me think of some of the powerful poetry written about World War I and the horrors captured by those who were there. 
which is akin to the horrors captured by those who were in Jerusalem and led into exile. Um, in particular, Wilfred Owen's Dulce et Decorum Est, men marched asleep. Many had lost their boots but limped on, bloodshod, all went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue. All the poems from World War I are uncomfortable reading, and yet the legacy is powerful, as is the legacy of Lamentations. So Scripture's poetry is genius. Um, any Hebrew scholars among you this morning will, of course, instantly realize that this poem is acrostic. And with the verses from each stanza, beginning with successive letters for the alphabet. But this chapter is actually three times the length of the other chapters in Lamentations. So chapters one and two, for example, the verses are A, B, C, D, E, and so on. We in Lamentations three are A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. So it's genius poetry to encapsulate all of this in such form. Hence the abridged reading, because 66 verses is quite a lot to get through. Okay, so chapter one, recapping on that. Chapter one is about the voice of Jerusalem. She is a widow, grieving, destitute, abandoned. And if you want to catch up on that, Simon took the 11 o'clock service, which will be online a few weeks back. Chapter 2 is God's perspective, the voices from God's perspective. Israel has violated his covenant with them, and he is angry. God is cross. So you can listen back to James's talk on the 11 o'clock um, and see what happened there. Listen how Jesus sets everybody straight. And in chapter 3, okay, this is where it gets personal, so there's an American film, isn't there? This is Pisonal. So, and its personal has actually now made it into the Urban Dictionary. But first of all, I want to speak to the elephant in the room, which is these verses that have made Lamentations famous. And they can be generally quoted across the board and have turned into some great hymns and songs. I don't mean to diss these worship songs, but we are going to put these words into context. So uh, if you've got any words in front of you, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So how do these words fit with our besieged landscape? So chapter three, to me, is like a hope sandwich, where hope is the thinnest wafer-thin ham that you can find, and the bread is the biggest doorstep that you can get hold of, and the, the bread is God's wrath, and the hope is the tiny slither of filling. So this is a cry to God out of hope that he would act and that his mercies indeed would be new every morning. So the people are imploring God to remember them. And this is what they did through history. They're imploring him to incline his head towards them. It's a plea. Um, there's a quietness and a silence in this chapter, which we will explore more at the end. But there are tears day and night in this quiet landscape, the desperation 
And what they're saying is that they will do this until God sees. As he did in Exodus 2, God heard the groaning of his people. He remembered his government. He looked upon the Israelites and what the people in the siege are, in the exile, are crying out to God to do the same. And it's into this silence that a truth comes. God may or may not act because God is God and we are not. And I'm very thankful to the Reverend uh, David Torrance, who taught me a part of my ordination course, who taught me this phrase, God is God and we are not. And it's a great one to remember. So uh, to support this, I call on my first witness, Daniel, first and only witness actually, Daniel, who is now ruler over Babylon a few decades later, and helping King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king who, by the way, besieged Jerusalem, Daniel's got three friends, you're going to know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are also in positions of power, but they refuse to bow down to this really big image of gold. They say, we will only worship one true God. Nebuchadnezzar is furious and orders them to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, he's so angry that he turns the heat up sevenfold. And this is what they said before they were thrown in. And this is the crucial part. The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This tiny phrase, even if he does not. This is the and yet the cry, and yet, that we hear from lamentations. This crazy confidence in verse 31 that no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me, says the psalmist in Psalm 42. Yes, the psalms are also full of lament. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God, for yet I will praise him. Everything is lost, and yet I will praise him. So how can this help us today? I'm just going to draw everything together. How can this help us today? Um, Well, I'm just going to suggest this morning that Lamentations 3 offers us a pathway through pain. The staff team know that I'm a great fan of the Oscars, And tonight, of course, is the Oscar ceremony. And it's very likely that All Quiet on the Western Front is going to scoop a good set of Academy Awards. So it's a remake of the first World War film, but from the German perspective. It's in German with British subtitles, and it's thought it might even become part of the school curriculum in Germany. It revisits the tragedy of war. Uh, It's not easy watching, and even the trailer makes me feel awkward. And um, I remember as a journalist conducting a series of interviews for the 60th anniversary of D-Day in 2004, asking a hopelessly naive question of one of the veterans. Why is it important to remember, I asked. And the answer came, remember? Remember, he was 
spitting into the microphone. I've spent 60 years trying to forget. So why Lamentations this Lent? It's a very big and important part of our journey of faith to learn how to lament, to learn how to bring everything to God. You know, when our head is almost under the water in the pit, we need to be able to cry out to God. So it's this idea that we can pray through the pain. There are no quick fixes the pain may not go away. And the situation may not change, but yet I will praise you. Verse 21 of our chapter today says, yet this I call to mind. Let's remember God's goodness. It's, it's a call to endurance, really, isn't it? And life can certainly feel like an endurance test at times. And it's into this hope that God speaks and this is the only time in Lamentations that God says something. You came near when I called and said, do not fear. That's verse 57. Do not fear. Not, I've got this one, or it'll be fine tomorrow, or there's an army on the hillside. The cavalry is waiting to ride in to rescue you. Just do not fear. And that was enough. That was all that needed to be said. Fear in the face of adversity dispatched. So there's the war and the impact of war which rages on in Ukraine, brought to us so powerfully in the reading this week, these hypersonic missiles. I remember the steel plant in Mariupol. That was a modern-day siege. Remember Aleppo, ravaged by war, then hit by an earthquake, with the one route for aid through Syria blocked by a landscape. One priest working there this week described it as a new level of hell. And then there are things closer to home, things in our lives over which to lament. A different priest in Syria, Father Fadi Azar, said that at the moment the earthquake struck, the only words being shouted were to Jesus and God to help. He said, many have doubts, but they have faith that God will not abandon them. So the belief in God remains, and therefore there is this shred of hope. That shard of glass from our smashed pint glass. Let's pick it up, perhaps drawing blood as we go, knowing that the glass is something bigger. The shard is part of a glass that is something bigger. And yet, we are still able to see light through that shard of glass. The light, which is the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, our hope. So we're going to pray together now. And I'm going to lead us straight into prayer. But the one thing that is in Lamentations 3 is a big chunk of silence. So we need to befriend silence, I think, often in this world. So 
So if you want to just close your eyes. And uh, also there's a point in Lamentations 3 where it says lift your hands. If you want to just open your hands at any point just to receive the hope, then just do that at any point. So Lord, we're going to cry out for help. Please don't shut out our prayers. Make our way towards you straight. Jesus, we call on your name right at the start of this time of prayer. Spirit, give us peace as we come to you in all of our vulnerability. We want to be still. We want to know that you are God. I wonder if we could just, in the silence, let God surface whatever it is he would like to bring to you this morning. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As Sue said at the beginning of the service, um, there's this synergy between lament and confession. Let's say sorry for all the things that we have got wrong and let's return to the Lord. Lord, we are sorry for the grudges we have held. We release them to you now. And a Lenten prayer. Forgive us our sins of negligence and ignorance and our deliberate sins. And grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit to amend our lives according to your holy word. We ask that our prayers will get through. We bring before you in our mind's eye and stillness the people that we know who are destroyed one way or another. Look down on them, Lord, we ask, and see them. Do not close your ears to our cries for relief. We cry out for relief for those in Ukraine, Syria, Uganda, for those Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. We cry out for relief for those in our own country who are desperate, who are overcome with grief, for those whose tears flow day and night, for those who feel they are in the depths of a pit. Come to near to us when we call you and speak out your words of comfort. Do not fear over our lives. We ask your spirit to speak out these words of hope, taking away all fear over what is around and what is ahead. Give our hearts peace. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus, for the hope we have in Easter and in the resurrection, the hope of eternal life. I'm just going to draw this time of prayer to a close with these 
amazing verses. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Amen.